I hope you all had a good day today, but if you watched the news today, you probably didn't. It's not just today. It's just that the news has been so bad lately that it can ruin anybody's day. There are things happening in America today that I never thought I would see. And it's causing a lot of stress and worry. In fact, the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, you know the people that handled COVID so well? <laughs> the CDC actually recommends that if you're suffering from stress, you should avoid watching the news, stay off social media, and reduce your caffeine intake. Thanks, Captain Obvious. I'm sure I never would have thought on, of that on my own. I probably would have just said, pray. But I'm sure we paid them well for that advice. But that just illustrates how stressful and troublesome the world is today. And after the attack on Israel on October 7th, the stress and worry have increased to a whole new level. How can you not worry about that situation? And the war in Ukraine is still far from being over. That's troubling too. But you know, we really shouldn't be surprised. Because in Matthew 24, 6, when the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus tells them, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do you think we're there yet? Right now, there are 32 armed conflicts going on in the world today. 32. About one person in every six is involved, threatened, or in danger from one of these conflicts. Many more people than that have been affected by them in one way or another. By my count, there are nine civil wars, 19 terrorist insurgencies, two drug wars, one nation versus nation war, and one conflict that has just been labeled ethnic violence. Now, I call the conflict between Israel and Hamas a terrorist insurgency instead of a war because Gaza is not a sovereign nation and Hamas is not a terrorist group. Now, I might add that Hamas was duly elected by the Palestinians to govern Gaza, so I don't know what they were expecting but what happened was about what I was expecting. But it's not just wars and threats of wars from countries like Russia, China, and North Korea that worry us. We can get wound up about all kinds of things. Things like climate change, the border situation, inflation, mass shootings, the national debt, your own personal debt, your job or lack of a job, your health, your family, your family's health, your family's salvation, your friend's salvation, bills, taxes, KU basketball, the next election, the news, the fake news, goes on and on. There's always plenty to worry about. We can even worry about worrying too much. But I mentioned fake news and there was a really good example of it a few weeks ago. The New York Times ran a front page story with the headline, Israel Bombs Palestinian Hospital in Gaza. And along with that, they ran a large picture of a building that was completely destroyed. 
Well, of course, later we found out it wasn't Israel at all that bombed the hospital, but a Palestinian rocket that malfunctioned and blew up in the hospital parking lot. But the damage done to the hospital just wasn't dramatic enough for the New York Times. So what they did, they substituted a picture of a different building that was completely reduced to rubble. So if the newspaper with the second largest circulation in the United States can't be trusted, what does that say about all the rest of the mainstream media out there? What version of bad news can we actually trust? You know, it's just something else to worry about. So all this worry, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, I can understand how it can be overwhelming, especially to non-believers, but I know personally some Christians that are consumed with worry. I have one friend in particular who I know is a no doubt born again Christian, but he's very interested in politics and world events, and as a result, he worries too much. He'll ask me, why would God let that happen? Usually I'll just tell him, probably just to mess with you, you know. <laughs> or sometimes I tell him, why don't you ask him personally? Now, my friend knows, just as we do, that it's all part of the big plan. These things have to happen. But when Christians let themselves get pulled into the things of this world, stress and worry are going to happen. So the question is, why do we let ourselves do that? I know it's human nature to worry, but we really shouldn't. Because continuing on in Matthew 24, 6, Jesus tells us, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But how can we not be troubled by these things? I'll get to that a little later. But we all know that while we are in the world... We are not of the world. But still, we can't just ignore all these things that are going on. It's way too easy to get caught up in them because, after all, at no time in the history of the world have we had the means to stay in touch with world events right in our hand. And not just world events... We can have meaningful discussions with people from different countries and different cultures all around the world and find solutions to all the world's problems. Not likely. A wise man once told me that the only way to win on social media is not to play. You know, in their anti-stress recommendations, the CDC left out, just turn off your phone. I see Christians getting into conversations on Facebook that they have no chance of changing somebody else's viewpoint. We just need to learn to say no. Another question I've gotten since October 7th is, is this the beginning of the end times? Now I know Patrick touched on this a few weeks ago, but going back again to Matthew 24, 6, Jesus says, these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. That seems pretty clear. But he goes on in verses 7 and 8, saying, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, 
and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now the things that Jesus talks about in these verses are not the things that are specific signs of the end. Things like wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes have been around since even before Jesus spoke these words. But they are not signs of the end. Rather, these things are an indication of the broken state of the world today. In effect, Jesus says, catastrophes will happen, but these will not signal the end. Now, anytime there's a great war or a famine or natural disaster, it's easy to believe that the world is coming to an end. I'm sure that people caught up in the wildfires in Hawaii recently thought it was the end times. And I know that the people dancing and enjoying a music festival in Israel on October 7 thought it was the end of the world too. And for many of them it was. But Jesus said these things are only the beginning of sorrows. Though none of those events are the specific sign of the end, collectively they are a sign. When Jesus described these events as the beginning of sorrows, he is literally calling them labor pains. And just like labor pains, we should ex expect that the things mentioned like wars, famines, earthquakes, and so on would become more and more frequent and more and more intense. And still without any one of them being the specific sign of the end. So why do so many Christians still worry and stress about so many things? including the end times, when Jesus tells us not to? Well, quite simply, it's because many don't know the Bible. Most don't even read the Bible. Some who call themselves Christians don't even believe that the Bible is truth, much less the Word of God. Now, I don't personally don't understand how that can be, but... A while back, I think the last time I was up here, I talked about how the majority of Christians in America don't have a biblical worldview. And since the pandemic, it's only gotten worse. Listen to these numbers. The first national study of Americans' worldview since the COVID-19 lockdowns show that the incidence of biblical worldview has fallen to a mere 4%. Now, this is mainstream America. This is not just Christians. 4%, a drop of one-third from the 6% recorded just three years earlier. The 6% measure recorded in January 2020 might just prove to be the high watermark for the foreseeable future. And this is all according to a new report from the American Worldview Inventory 2023 from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. This is a report that was done by Christians. Now, as I said, these numbers I read include all Americans, not just Christians, but when you boil it down to just Christians, the numbers aren't much better. 68% of Americans still consider themselves to be Christians. But among these self-identified Christians, only 6% have a biblical worldview. Less than half of these self-identified Christians can be classified as born again. 
And born again, of course, is defined as believing that they will go to heaven after they die, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So within the born again population, you would think that number would be higher. And it is, but it's still just 33% of the adult population. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Within the world, within the born again population, which is 33% of the adult population, only 13% have a biblical worldview. Now, personally, I believe that taking God and the Bible out of schools has drastically affected these numbers as well as the whole of American society. The person responsible for these figures is Dr. George Barna the creator of the American Worldview Inventory, and he has been measuring American Biblical Worldview since the early 1990s. Here are the questions that he asked to determine your worldview perspective. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And lastly, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? I hope you all answered yes to all those questions. But more important than your answers is, does your life reflect the way you answered? You know, we can't expect to influence someone to live their lives in a way that we don't live our lives. Do as I say, not as I do, just doesn't cut it when it comes to evangelizing. We also found out in this study that age has a consistent correlation with having a biblical worldview. The younger a person, the less likely they are to have a biblical worldview. Among adults under 30, just 1% have a biblical worldview. This rises to 3% among people in their 30s and 40s, 5% among those aged 50 to 64, and peaks out at 8% among adults 65 years or older. And those numbers are enough to make me worry. By looking at those numbers, we can see how important it is to have a healthy children's and youth ministries. And we know Patrick has been very passionate about that since he became the senior pastor here. And as a result, those ministries have been blessed and have grown tremendously. But here's the big problem. Non-biblical worldview ideas don't just sit around in a book somewhere waiting for a kid to open it up and find them. Kids today are bombarded constantly with non-biblical ideas from television, movies, music, newspapers, magazines, from their friends and from their phones. So if we want to reach our kids and help keep these ministries healthy and have an impact on the future of the church, we all need to do everything we can to help those ministries out. 
So one of the things we can do is sign up and attend the children's ministry conference this Saturday. <laughs> it's, Im it's important. It's important. So even if you're not feel called to help, come and listen. You might change your mind. So now we can see why many so-called Christians have so much stress and worry today. It's because they don't believe the Bible. They don't trust God, and they don't know the promises that He's given us. You know, I tell people all the time when I'm talking to them, this is the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life. Put some time and effort into investigating it. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. Look into it. But they usually don't. Most people that don't believe the Bible have never even read the Bible and don't know what it says. You know, I got saved pretty late in life. I was 51 years old. And it wasn't as a result of reading the Bible or even believing the Bible. But I was saved because of people just like you praying for me continuously. In fact, some of those people are here tonight. And I want to thank you for that. Everyone else, never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate that. So now we know why people, even Christians, worry. How can we not worry, given all these things we have to worry about? Well, we know Jesus has a lot to say about worry. So let's have a look. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to reference these verses pretty quickly. But in Matthew 6.25 and 6.31 and Luke 12.22, Jesus tells us not to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. In Matthew 6.28, he says, don't worry about clothing. In Matthew 10.19, Mark 13.11 and Luke 12.11, he tells the disciples not to worry about what to say when you are arrested or delivered up to the authorities, for it will be given to you what to say. In Matthew 6.34, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, so pretty much Jesus says not to worry. But that's a lot easier said than done. I can not be worried about something and still be uneasy, still not have peace about it. Peace. You know, there it is. That's what we've been missing, is peace. And one of the things I noticed immediately after accepting Jesus was a feeling of peace that I had never felt before as an adult. I can only compare it to when I was a kid, like five or six years old, and we would be driving home from a trip, and I'd fall asleep in the back seat. And, of course, usually I'd wake up when we pulled in the drive and stop, but, you know, I'd pretend to still be asleep. And my father would pick me up hold me in his arms and carry me in and, and put me in my bed. And Man, that's peace. That's the peace I was looking for. 
That's a peace I had never felt as an adult. I had been missing that. But now I have that peace again, and it's very important to me. You know, in the world today, nobody has peace. Everybody has an ax to grind or a cause to champion. Everybody's up in arms. Everybody's mad about something. Nobody has peace. But we can. In Philippians chapters 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I love that. The peace that surpasses all understanding. So how do we get it? How do we keep it? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at John 16.33. Gospel of John 16.33. Jesus is talking to his disciples on the day before he was arrested. He tells them, he's trying to prepare them for what's going to come. He tells them, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hmm. Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was to come after his departure. He wants them to know that they're going to have some hard times. But even in the midst of those hard times, they don't have to worry because he has overcome the world. And since he did it, they can too. And we can too. You know, what's amazing to me about that verse is here is Jesus comforting the disciples when at the same time Judas is plotting to betray him. Jesus knows that soon... He will be arrested, forsaken, rejected, mocked, humiliated, tortured, and crucified. And yet, he's the one doing the comforting. Even facing what he knew was that he was about to go through, Jesus had peace. And he had enough of it to share with his disciples, too. So now... Now we know that this peace comes only from Jesus. And we know that he gives it freely to those who have faith in him. When we abide in him, and he in us, we will experience his peace. His peace is different than what we can get from the world. Yeah, we can get peace from the world. But it's an external peace received from the happenings around us. You might even call it happiness. The peace we get from Jesus gives us rest from the worry and troubles of the world. It's internal and eternal. It's called everlasting peace. There are a couple of things to look at in this verse. First notice that Jesus offers peace when he says you may have peace. 
but he promises tribulation. Like salvation, we don't have to accept his offer of peace, but we can have it if we want it. We find both peace and salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, in me you may have peace. We won't find it anywhere else. In Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just like He made a way for us to reach the Father, Jesus made a way for us to have real everlasting peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. He makes a way where there was no way. That is so powerful. You know, we don't realize what it was like before Jesus when there was no way to God. There was no path to God. There was no way to salvation. But Jesus made a way. I love that. So while peace is offered to us, tribulation is promised. When we become Christians, we might eliminate some problems from our lives. Hopefully, I did. But the enemy is going to make sure we definitely will have them again. The difference is how we handle those problems now. You know, understanding that we will always have tribulations removes a false hope. Some believers think that once they're saved, they're going to be immune to troubles and challenges. And when they are faced with hardship or difficulties, God's going to just step in and sweep their troubles away. That's not realistic. He promises to be with us through our troubles and tribulations. But He's not just going to take care of them all for us. And there are several reasons why we must endure tribulations. The first reason we go through tribulations is we live in a fallen world full of sinners and under the influence of Satan. So tribulations are inevitable. Secondly, like it or not, tribulations draw us closer to God. If everything was just smooth sailing, it wouldn't be long before we would be off somewhere doing our own thing without a thought of God at all. And kind of like Israel did back in the Old Testament. Both Paul and James tell us to be joyful when we fall into various trials. But I especially like the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You know, we know we have already been promised tribulation, so why should we be surprised when they come upon us? There's always something to learn from them. Now, I know I can have peace through my times of trouble, but I'm not sure I'm at the rejoicing stage yet. And Jesus finishes with the proc proclamation, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
With this statement, Jesus proclaimed the truth of his victory. Jesus went to the cross not in defeat, but as a conqueror. None of the things of this world could overcome him. Not the Romans, not the Sanhedrin, not the cross, not death, not the grave, and certainly not Satan. He truly has overcome the world, and his resurrection proves the truth in his claim. We all have a powerful reason to be of good cheer. Alexander McLaren wrote, The world conquers me when it comes between me and God, when it fills my desires, when it absorbs my energies, when it blinds my eyes to the things unseen and eternal. So we know the world can do that. Knowing that Jesus has overcome the world should cheer us up. We can take heart in knowing that through his victory, sin and death and all of the evil and worrisome things of this world no longer have any power over us. We can know that although he left us, through his Holy Spirit, he is still with us. And we can have peace. Now, I told you earlier about my friend that asked me, why would God let that happen? But one time I replied, why don't you ask him? And he came back with, why don't you ask him? You got the hookup. <laughs> First I thought it was funny, but then I realized he was serious, and I thought, you know what? He's right. I do have the hookup. <laughs> I have the hookup with the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? I have the hookup. Do you? I know that you do. I know that you do. So it's better than a hotline to the president. I can tell you that. If you don't have it, you can have it. Just like the piece I talked about, it's available. So in closing tonight, I want to share one of my favorite Bible verses. It's one that you probably won't guess, and it's very short and simple. Matthew 8, verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now this was in response to a leper who came to Jesus and worshipped him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. Now, I know there's not a lot of leprosy around anymore, but that's not all that Jesus is willing to cure. If you come to him and ask to be cleansed of sin, he is willing. If you ask for strength when you are weak, he is willing. If you ask for peace in times of turmoil, he is willing. And most important, if you ask for your eternal salvation of your soul, he is willing. He's willing because he loves us. So if you don't know that peace that I talked about tonight, but you want to, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And if you want to do that tonight, please come and see me after the service tonight. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. I pray that you would increase our faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ 
so that we may trust him more each and every day. And I pray that you would be with us through our week and bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.